Please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word this morning. And before we get into our study, we've got to have a baby report, because we are having a baby boom at our church. The nursery is just overflowing, and I want you to know that we, as a pastoral staff, are doing our part to fuel uh, this baby boom. Uh, Last night, let's put the picture up there, here we have... Uh, oh, let's see, I gotta write my notes here, get this name right. Cruz Nelson Chacon. This is Pastor Tomiko and uh, her husband Chris's uh, baby boy. And then the next picture there, there's a big brother Christian, and uh, they are together there, and what an exciting uh, thing that is. And then we are also uh, dedicating uh, Brinley Holmstrom, but I do not see them right now, so you can tell them we will do that at the end of the service. How does that sound? Uh, we will dedicate uh, Brinley uh, to the Lord there. So let's continue in our study outlines as we continue with our series, The Story. And just like Greg was mentioning, if you get those gift bags, visitors, either at the south end of the lobby or the north end, if you get a hold of that gift gift bag, it'll have included in it a coupon that's going to look just like this. And you can turn that in at the Resource Center. And if you turn that in at the Resource Center, uh, then uh, you will get a free copy of the story that we would love to give you as a gift from our church to you. Do you know that we have either sold or given away over 4,000 copies of this during this series. It's just been a great, great resource and a helpful thing for sharing with friends that have helped them to connect with the Bible and with God's Word. And so you've come in on a perfect time because we're starting in on the early church. And for the remainder of August, we're studying what God did through the early church as we do this overview of the Bible through this Bible reading program called The Story. And so we had Christmas in June. Uh, We We had Good Friday in July, we had Easter in August, and now again, we're going to have Pentecost in August. Usually, that's 50 days after Easter, and it's usually in the month of May or in June, but today we're going to celebrate it in August because that's where it falls within the story. The title of today's study is New Beginnings, the three phrases, phases of God's search and rescue plan. Uh, God has a rescue plan to rescue uh, each one of us since the Garden of Eden. We've been separated from God. And so he has been on a search and rescue plan to reconnect us with himself, to bring us back home again, to bring us into his family once again. Phase one was Israel. God wanted a nation through whom to show his character and to call people uh, back to himself. And then we come today to the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is the second of a two-book set written by the same person, Luke, to the same person, Theophilus. And so it's a two-book set, and really Luke and Acts ought to go together. And so the Gospel of Luke describes the second phase, along with the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. The second phase is God finding his lost children through Jesus Christ. uh, Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So phase one was Israel. Phase two was Jesus and his earthly ministry. Now we are living in phase three, the book of Acts, which was written by Luke and addressed to the same person, Theophilus. And I love this name, Theophilus. A Theo, meaning God in the Greek. Philos, meaning love, lover of God or God lover. There are three Greek words for love. There's eros, from which we get erotic or physical love. There's agape love, which is selfless love, the love that Christ had for us on the cross and that we are to have to each other. And then there's phileo, which is a love of friendship. 
uh, from which we get the term Philadelphia, is the city of brotherly love. It's a love of friendship. And so you could say that Theophilus, his name means lover of God, God lover, or a friend of God. It's the same person, Luke, writing to the same person as his gospel. He describes the third phase, which is God finding his lost children through the church. So first of all, through Israel, then through Jesus and his earthly ministry, and now through the church. Now, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And his disciples ask him the question that's on all of our minds. Jesus, you're leaving, but when are you coming back? And that's a great question, isn't it? How many of you have ever wondered, when is he coming back? How many of you, when you look at things going on in the world, say you wish that would be sooner rather than later? Boy, I tell you, just this morning, I've been reading about it all week, but Pastor Jay showed me on his phone a a CNN report on uh, ISIS, and as this uh, Islamic Republic expands across parts of Syria and Iraq, And um, oh my goodness, what a demonic advance that is. And how they are targeting particularly Christians now. And really, this is just making the news, but this is an everyday occurrence for the body of Christ. Christianity, followers of Christ, biggest movement in world history, fastest growing throughout history, and today, biggest, fastest movement growing movement in in the history of the world. And in addition to that, it's the most persecuted movement in the world. It's the human rights violation that nobody really talks about very much. But Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. More killed, persecuted, lose their jobs, oppressed than any other group of individuals in the world or in world history. And this happens. This is an everyday occurrence for followers of Christ in different places all around the world. But now it's making news as ISIS is targeting Christians. And when they capture Christians, they hang the men, they rape the women, And they behead the children. They are beheading children. Babies are being beheaded. Their heads put on a pole and paraded uh, for all to see. What evil this is. And yet this is just typical for much of the body of Christ around the world uh, much of the time. And so when we see things like that, we cry out, Maranatha, Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. When are you coming back? And Jesus lovingly and gently redirects the question of the disciples. He says, that's an okay question. And spend some time looking into that issue. But most of the time, don't ask the question, when are you coming back? But ask the question, what should we do until you come back? Or what do you want us to be doing when you do come back? That's the main question uh, that, that, that you should be asking. And here's his final command to us before he went back to heaven. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, the city of Pomona and surrounding cities like Claremont and Chino Hills, Chino, uh, Laverne, uh, Montclair, and in all Judea and Samaria, Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, Azusa, Glendora, Uh, Whatever your town is, that one is included in that as well. Wherever you work, the city where you work, the city where you live, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these were his last words to us before he ascended into heaven. And then a couple of angels appear and said, men of Galilee, which is true because do you know that of the 12 disciples, all of them were Galileans except for Judas Iscariot. He was the only non-Galilean. 
And so Judas is now gone. And so it's 11 of the 12 remaining. And they're all from Galilee. And so the angel says, men of Galilee, uh, why are you gazing up into the sky? In the same way that he left in his resurrection body into the clouds, he will return with his resurrection body from the clouds. But in the meantime, you've got work to do. Quit heaven gazing and get to work so that when he does come back, he'll find us fulfilling the last command that he gave to us. The disciples, 120 of them, wait in Jerusalem as Jesus commanded. Pentecost comes 50 days after Easter. Now, why Jerusalem? Because the day of Pentecost, the festival, the Jewish festival of Pentecost is approaching. And in the same way, Jerusalem would have been filled with people on Passover uh, when Jesus was crucified and when he rose from the grave, about a million people would be in Jerusalem from all parts of the Roman Empire would be there for the Feast of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, and we believe that Christ fulfilled all the Jewish festivals, fulfilled all the Jewish feasts, he fulfilled the Passover in his death on the cross. He fulfilled the Feast of first fruits in his resurrection because he became the first fruits from the dead. And we will follow him as the after fruits, after the first fruits rising from the dead in Christ as well. And then now he fulfills the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost would be celebrated by a giving up of two loaves of bread. And these would be made of fine flour that included leaven. It would be leavened bread. And leaven in the scriptures is symbolic of being separated from the world, of being called out to be holy from the world. And so what happens on the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit calls out God's church from the world. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. And so the church is born in a moment. Five minutes before the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, there was no church. Five minutes after, there's a church. A church is birthed instantaneously on the day of Pentecost. The 120 disciples hear a mighty wind and are anointed with tongues of fire as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. Uh, verse 1, and we're going to spend all of our time in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. People that are in the middle of tornadoes say it sounds like a hundred freight trains roll into town. Well, that's this sound. Came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. They weren't tongues of fire, but they looked like tongues of fire. That separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The 120 disciples now become cross-cultural missionaries speaking the works of God in the languages of the world. We'll put a map up there, and you'll see these are all the different places that these people had come from, centered on Jerusalem. They were from all across the Roman Empire, gathered here for the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, it's, this is just conjecture. It really doesn't matter. But it's interesting. Was the miracle in what they spoke 
or were they speaking in the Galilean tongue, but everybody was hearing it in their own language. So uh, was the miracle in the speaking of it, it coming out in all different languages, or was it in the hearing of it that the miracle occurred? It doesn't really matter, but it's interesting to conjecture. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And when you don't understand what God is up to, when you encounter something new, the important question is, what does this mean? And yet many people respond, when, when there's something they don't understand, they respond by mocking instead of asking the seeker question, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now we see this today. When people don't understand parts of the Bible, when they don't understand parts of what God uh, says in his word, when they don't understand certain things about followers of Christ. Instead of with humility asking the question, what does this mean? Instead, they mock, they make fun, and they said they've had too much to drink. They're holy rollers. I remember going to a concert of Andre Crouch in Chicago years ago, and he said, we may be holy rollers, and what they say is true, but if they knew what we were rolling about, then they'd be rolling too. And so... So it's all about asking the question, what does it mean? Okay, rather than, than making fun. Page of your study outline. The previously Lord-denying disciple, Peter. You know Peter? Mistake-prone Peter. Denied Jesus three times. Beaten down, discouraged, broken man that he was. Guilt-ridden because of what he had done. That same Peter, now filled with the Spirit, boldly proclaims the meaning of the events of Pentecost. Two-point sermon, Jesus is alive, and number two, he's Lord. Uh, the first sermon ever preached was an Easter sermon. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. Now, how did an uneducated fisherman like Peter know all the Old Testament scriptures and how they applied to Christ? Well, certainly Jesus taught it over a three-year period, but I believe there was a crash course during the 40 days that Jesus had with his disciples between his resurrection and his ascension. And during that time, he gave them an overview of the Old Testament and how the scriptures all pointed to Jesus. How the Old Testament, just like the New Testament, it's all about Jesus and how it all was fulfilled in Jesus. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Hence came the tradition of always opening your sermon up with a joke. You know, the people would have laughed at this. This was a, it was a sense of humor here. These people aren't drunk. After all, who gets drunk at nine in the morning? No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what I'm going to do is just without interruption, read to you the first sermon ever preached. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And God knew, and God knew, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And you're like, Glenn, why can't you do three-minute sermons and get the same results? Um, Okay, this is just a summary of what he said. It's like a Reader's Digest. I'm going to prove that in just a moment, so hang with me. Uh, 3,000 respond to Peter's explanation by repenting, getting baptized. They become the first people in the birth of the church. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, you know, we as a church and, and you and your individual sharing of Jesus with others we want to be as gracious as we can. We want to be as informative as we can. We want to be as interesting as we can. We want to be good, effective in the way we share. We want to be good listeners. Um, we want to do everything we can to make sure that the gospel is the offense and not us personally. And so we do the very best job we can of sharing Jesus in the most effective way that we can. But when all is said and done, it comes down to the work of the Holy Spirit. Does a person get cut to the heart or do they not? And if you're listening to my words right now, either here or online, or maybe later on on a podcast or whatever, here's the question, okay? Will you open up your heart so that you can be cut to the heart? Or will you resist what you don't understand and make fun of it like some people did on the day of Pentecost? And, And we work as if it all depends upon us, but we pray knowing that ultimately it all depends upon God. We do the best we can to share in the best way we can. But when it's all said and done, whether it's preaching with a number of people or whether it's one-on-one sharing of Jesus with our family and friends, it comes down to, is their heart open to being cut? And it says that they were cut to the heart by the work of the Holy Spirit, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And so Peter replied, repent, 
And I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment before we even finish the sermon. I'm going to give you a chance. If your heart, if you've been cut to the heart, if your heart is opening, open to being cut, I'm going to give you that chance in just a moment. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Did you know you get mentioned in the Bible? We are the far off ones. We are the ones 2,000 years later in Southern California that this is for, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. There it is, many other words. He went on for another 45 minutes. I am positive of it, okay? <laughs> Wasn't a three-minute sermon. It was uh, 35 to 45. I'm just sure of it. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Do we live in a corrupt generation? We do. They did. Everybody has. And this really is what we do as individual Christ followers, as part of this church family. We spend our time until Jesus returns with humble, gracious, loving words of warning to our family and friends. We plead with them. We warn. We plead. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation and if you're listening to me right now, I warn you, I plead with you with all the love uh, that my heart can muster, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I've asked you to do this so many times, but would everybody turn with me to the back of, of, your, uh, of your program? And, and we're going to finish the sermon in just a moment, so don't get too excited, okay, that we're about done. But, but I, just want, I just think this is the time, right now. If you've been cut to the heart, this is basically Peter's message, how to become a follower of Jesus. You, would, you, you repent. What does repenting mean? It means admitting our condition before God. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. God, I, I acknowledge that I, my condition before you. And I believe that Jesus is God's solution. Jesus, born, lived a perfect life, crucified, risen. Just like Peter preached about 2,000 years ago on that, that day of Pentecost. Jesus is the answer to my need for forgiveness. And then I decide, I choose to follow Christ as my Savior and Lord. And so right now, if you, like those people 2,000 years ago and people have done for the last 2,000 years, if your heart has been cut in that way, I invite you to pray silently this, this prayer. And there's nothing magical in the exact wording of this prayer. It simply summarizes what Peter preached in the first sermon and people have been preaching for 2,000 years. It simply summarizes what we find in the Bible. Would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. Right here, right now, August 10th, 2014, I want to discover 
and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family says, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we have a gift for you. Just like Greg was mentioning earlier, there's guest centers on the south end of the lobby and the north end of the lobby. And there's a little packet that says, unwrap your gift. And there's somebody there. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's somebody that is, would love to talk with you. But if you just, you know, without pressure or obligation, just want to pick up this gift from our church to you, just pick by up this little packet that says, unwrap your gift. And there are some resources in here that will help you in your walk with Jesus, how to grow in your walk with him if you prayed that prayer here today. And I encourage you to get a hold of this uh, when the service is done. Okay, let's finish up. This massive, diverse, multicultural crowd of 3,000 believers becomes the unified community, uh, becomes the church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is to the, to the Bible, and to fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, that is sharing the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I I believe that was for that particular time and place. I don't believe that all Christ followers need to do that, but I do believe in the principle behind what they did. The early church was immediately characterized by radical love that led to radical service and radical generosity. They, they, the first characteristic of the early church was look how they love each other to the point of being radical out of the ordinary in serving other people and in giving and their generosity to other people. I mean, we see that still today. Um, boy, other st- stories, I've been amazed. I mean, reading CNN is like reading Uh, an article from Christianity Today about these doctors with the Ebola plague and how these are just on fire, committed followers of Jesus. And boy, I've been reading about it all week, but last night before I went to bed, I read off a CNN, an article, I was just amazed how blatant it was that these people, the whole reason they're there is because of their love of Jesus Christ. I mean, the article couldn't be more plain. These are people all in for Jesus. Now, some people could criticize them. And said, you know what, that's crazy. They could say to the early church, what are you talking about? You sell your property and possessions to give to people in need? That's, that's craziness. And people would say, what about your spouses? What about your children? This is, this is radical love that exhibits itself in radical service and, and radical generosity. And, and these are examples of that. But that's what we've seen throughout the history of, of followers of Christ. Um, do you know that sociologists say that in the early years of Christianity, the thing that most impressed people was their radical generosity and radical service uh, to other people? Now, we know the reason that it grew was because of the, the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a natural thing. But sociologists have studied it naturally. And they said one of the things that blew away the people um, of the early centuries of Christianity 
was how radical they were in serving others. And this particularly came to light during two plagues in the early centuries of the church. These plagues wiped out between a third and a fourth of all the people in the Roman Empire. And as soon as the plague hit, all the pagan temple leaders, all the pagan priests fled to the foothills and abandoned the cities to the plague. And the only people left were followers of Christ who remained to take care of the victims of the plague and many of them in the process caught the plague themselves and died from the plague. And when the plagues were all over and everybody kind of crept back into town once again and it was the Christians that had stayed to minister to people, people took note of this and they flocked in droves to that kind of radical love. And we see that through the centuries. Um, Not to compare it to that degree of sacrifice, but I see it in you as a church. Many of you drive here to church in the heart of Pomona, and you passed far safer campuses in far nicer neighborhoods. What causes you to do that? I think part of the reason is because you share the DNA that these early Christians had, that the Christians in those centuries had, that even these doctors that serve in dangerous places do. There's something within you that says, I want to be a part of the solution to a needy city like the city of Pomona. This is our DNA. It's the principle behind the action. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Why do all kinds of sociological studies show that people, the more regularly they attend church, is a direct correlative to how generous they are to charity? And they'll say that. A person that attends once a month is more generous than a person that never attends. A person that attends every other week is more generous than a person that attends once a month. And a person that attends every Sunday is the most generous of all compared to society. Where does that come from? People that follow Jesus have radical service, radical generosity that overflows from radical love. God is finding his lost children, creating a thriving family, This diversity becomes astounding unity by the presence of the Spirit. And I believe the more diverse a church it is, the more evidence it is of the Holy Spirit working within that church. Uh, This compliment or observation comes from outside of us, not from within. So that's why I share it with you, because it's not something we say about ourselves, but it was said by an outsider. This past week, uh, Pastor Sham and I had lunch with one of our missionaries, and it's one that you never hear about because she works in one of the most dangerous places in all the world. I would even go so far as to say as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than Monrovia, Liberia, where these doctors and Christian missionaries contracted the Ebola plague. Even more dangerous, as dangerous, if not more dangerous than that place. And she said to us a wonderful thing. She said, you know, you don't see it as an insider within the church, but I come back every few years And I am just astounded at the diversity within our church family. Most churches specialize, for example, in generations. Some are better, you know, predominantly younger people. Some are predominantly older people. She said the diversity of generations, the diversity of ethnicities, of of, of languages, of socioeconomic groups. The, The more people come together who would normally not be together, the more evidence it is of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the more diverse we become as a congregation, the more it is a witness to the world of the working of the Holy Spirit like it had happened on the day of Pentecost. 
This new church met from house to house, eating meals together and using their homes as places of God's love. Historians tell us that these house churches would have about 30 people in each. And so again, there are very great similarities with our church where thousands together met in the temple on a weekly basis. But then the, the, the thousands were broken down into groups of 30. Um, we call them life groups or adult Bible studies or Bible study groups or Sunday school classes. Uh, and, and, and so the thousands are broken down into um, 100 groups of 30, which is very similar to the, the way God has broken down uh, our church uh, family. We see that in our church as well. This stuff is not just for the early church. It is meant to be duplicated and replicated and followed in our time as well. Going to have the praise band. Uh, the praise band can start to come up for the closing song. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, this is not just an early church thing. We said last week that the previous week we'd had 29 people follow Jesus in baptism. And, and, and the same thing that happened in the early church can happen and is happening in our church as well. Uh, as you saw uh, uh, two weeks ago, all those people followed Jesus in baptism. Then last, people, the, the, last week, the videos of all the high schoolers that were baptized at, at Hume Lake, it, it says... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, it's an interesting thing that a military general or an admiral, the leader of a military group, their command um, um, remains in effect until he or she gives a new command. Whenever a military general or admiral or leader gives a command, that command remains in effect until a new command is given. And the last command that our commander-in-chief gave before he went to heaven is this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And by the grace of God, we will follow that command until our commanding general returns and gives us a new command to follow. And all God's family said, amen. Um, I tell you what, I guess this is a good time. Yeah. Let's dedicate your baby before we worship, okay? And uh, Charlie, you know what? It's, it's always the two-year-old during child dedications. It's never the baby. It's always the big brother. It's always the, the big, big brother. That's that right. goes down. That's but right. we <laughs> want to dedicate this precious uh, little girl, Brinley Kristen Holmstrom. Isn't she a beautiful girl? Let the Holmstroms know that you love them. I tell you. And, and you know, Eric, I was just talking about the baptisms at, at Human Lake. You know, I have to laugh. You know, you as a Presbyterian have probably baptized more people, you know, in a shorter amount of time than anybody I know. So we call him Eric the Baptizer is what we call him. The Presbyterian turned Baptist, yeah. baptizing left and right. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, because of the health challenges yeah. with Brinley, we want to have a special time of prayer for her uh, before we close off with worship. So could you guys, like, give us an update as yeah. to what's going on? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Um, so March 1st, two weeks after Brinley was born, we found out, uh, we went to the hospital, and they checked her oxygen and, uh, and her um, heartbeat, and they noticed something was a little bit off. And so uh, we went to Pomona Valley, and we were there for 12 days. And while we were there, we found out that our daughter, Brinley, has a heart disease. And uh, as, as parents of, you know, one little one and then Brinley now, we just were absolutely devastated. And I remember as soon as the cardiologist told us, your daughter has tetralogy of Fallot, which basically means there's four parts of her heart that they're going to need to go in and do surgery and operate on. Uh, we went into the little family room and just cried, just cried because we were devastated. We were afraid. We were anxious. We didn't know what was next. But it was right at that moment that God swooped in and loved us and cared for us. And we immediately got texts from a number of you. People began to visit us at the hospital, send us boxes of stuff. Some uh, A wonderful lady who works at our church brought us uh, yogurt, frozen yogurt, which is like exactly what you need. Uh, when you're going through that kind of thing. And so we had frozen yogurt, and it was just uh, the church. We experienced PFB just surrounding us and loving us. And, and since then, uh, Brinley has been doing really, really well. Every time we go to the cardiologist, they're amazed at how well she's breathing and feeding and growing and hitting those benchmarks. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we met with her surgeon and found out that they are still going to plan on doing surgery on her heart. She'll have open heart surgery on Thursday, September 4th, uh, pretty early in the morning. So if you could be praying for us around 6 a.m. on Thursday, September 4th, she'll be at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Uh, and I just want to quickly just say, church, I cannot wait for the day that Brinley grows up a little bit, and I get to say, hey, Brinley, let me tell you about the church. Let me tell you what the church is like. The church is a group of people who love Jesus and who are so sold out all in for Jesus that they loved you, Brinley, that they cared for you, that they prayed for you before they even knew you. And so church, let me just say from the bottom of our hearts, we are so grateful for all, all of you who we have met at Trader Joe's or at the gas station or here at church who have just said, we're praying for you, we love you guys, we're rooting for you. Uh, it has really been the prayers of God's people that have kept us sane and that have um, kept us motivated and excited about what God's doing. So thank you, church, for being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, we have felt it so personally. And um, so, yeah, so September 4th, Thursday morning, 6 a.m., Brindley will be having open heart surgery, and so we would just love your prayers. Awesome. Let's yeah. stand and show our support for this family, would you? Let them know how much you love them, how much you support them, and how we stand with them. Very, very good. Um, let's remain standing for the dedication, and then we'll remain standing to kick into a final worship song. That'd be great. Um, because you recognize this precious little girl as a gift from God and offer sincere thanks to her, to him for blessing you with her, would you please answer we will to the following promises. Will you provide a loving home for Brinley where Christ is honored and God's word is revered? We will. Will you bring her up in the training and instruction of the Lord according to the principles found in God's word, the Bible? We will. We seek to provide every opportunity to lead her into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We will. And will you pray for her, love her, and trust God for guidance and direction as you raise her up to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? We will. And will you as a church family uh, make this a church-friendly congregation? 
where we pray for our children, where we volunteer for nursery duty, where we volunteer to be Sunday school teachers, where we give to children's ministries, where we don't get irritated when we see kids ramming around the church and almost knocking us down? Um, will, will we be that kind of child-supportive atmosphere to raise up children to follow after Jesus Christ? If we'll take on that responsibility, let's signify by saying we will. We will. Great. Let's remain standing as we pray. Lord, I thank you for Brinley Kristen Holmstrom. I pray for her dad, Eric, her mom, Sarah, and big brother, Charlie. And Lord, first of all, I pray that you'll just take away the fear that's in Eric and Sarah's heart. I think of the verse in scripture, fear thou not, for I am with thee. And be not dismayed, because I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Banish that fear, and I pray that you will heal this little girl, that nothing will hinder her from fulfilling your purpose and plan for her life. I claim for her, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Be with Eric and Sarah as they stand before you, seeking first your kingdom. I pray that she will seek first your kingdom, and that all other things, health and emotions and other areas of life, job and relationships, all that will fall into place when they place you, number one, in their lives. We dedicate her to you and dedicate this family to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. 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 All right, very good.